Hello, and welcome to the So You Want to Be a Marine Biologist podcast, where we learn about the ocean, share sea stories, and explore ocean careers. I'm your host, Kara Musia. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, do you want to help the oceans? Have you considered a career in marine biology, but maybe just aren't sure where to start? Head on over to my website, marinebio.life, and subscribe to my newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll receive a free PDF download where you'll learn the seven steps to becoming a marine biologist without the degree. This episode is brought to you by you. Thank you to those of you who have become patrons of the So You Want to Be a Marine Biologist podcast. For less than the cost of a dive tank refill or a cup of coffee, you can help keep the podcast episodes coming. There's also some fun bonuses for patrons, so be sure to check those out at patreon.com backslash marine bio life. That's patreon.com backslash marine bio life. Hello, mermaids, pirates, ocean lovers, and land lovers. Welcome to today's show. Question, where do sharks go for vacation? Finland. What does a blue whale do on a date? Netflix and krill. My guest today is Finnish sailor, marine scientist, and science communicator Anuka Pekarenen. What I love about my conversation with Anuka is how much the ocean has influenced her life. I learned so much about what the ocean is in Scandinavian countries and what it really looks like, complete with archipelagos and lots of opportunities for connecting to places that are relatively untouched by humans. We also chat about Anuka's PhD research studying pygmy blue whales. Don't worry, they're still huge. And how her research evolved and how she evolved from her research. It's a really fun conversation and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here's Anuka. Anuka, welcome to the So You Want to Be a Marine Biologist podcast. I am so excited to chat with you today. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for the invite. Yeah. So you are calling from Finland, which is really fun. And you grew up in Finland, correct? Yes, I did. What was it like growing up in Finland and how did you get into marine science or how did the ocean spark that curiosity for you? Yeah, so when I was growing up, I, I grew up in a coastal area and uh, my, my parents never really had an own boat apart from maybe a small rowing boat at our summer house by the lake. But uh, I started sailing at these summer camps that were organized in my community. So there were these really beautiful little sailing boats to take children out. You know, we sailed during the day and went on one of the islands in the evenings, yeah. set up a tent and cook some food. And uh, that's really how I got into the marine life somehow. That's how it started. That sounds so idyllic. It was extremely idyllic, I would say. <laughs> so did you know when you were going into university that you wanted to study marine science or was it something that you kind of figured out while you were in school? Yeah, I kind of figured it out along the way. I started studying biology and we had the first year to decide uh, which specialty we wanted to focus on. 
And I would definitely say that the sailing experience that I had and also some nice examples from the crew. I think at best we had something like four marine biologists in this <laughs> same sailing crew. So it was really something that uh, it was interesting. And, and maybe I a little bit looked up to these people who I was sailing with and everything that they studied and were interested in looked, seemed so nice and cool. So that's how I ended up there as well. Yeah. Okay, so I guess let's back up a second. You said there's crew on the boats. I was picturing like you were sailing around like smaller boats, like maybe your family, but you were actually on like bigger boats with like a sizable crew when you were sailing around in your childhood. Um, yeah, well, actually, yeah, the first boat was a little bit bigger one. So there was a crew of maybe two professional crew members and then sort of younger deckhand type of crew members in addition to it and the smaller boats that we were sailing with uh, we always of course had professional crew with because we were sailing with children who might be six years old or something so it's good to have some adults who know what they're doing yeah that's really interesting so I learned to sail in college but my husband grew up sailing my husband grew up sailing on the Great Lakes here in the States and he didn't really like travel. Well, he did some overnights when he was older, but it was mostly like smaller boats when he was younger and that he would, you know, go out with maybe one adult and then sail around or sail around by himself. And then um, his family had a larger boat that they would race on and just do like day trips. So, but it was all just like family members. There was no like professional crew that would come out and like help take a family around. So Kind of what you're describing is more like a, a cruise almost. Yeah, in a way, like an archipelago cruise. But of course, these uh, smaller boats that we were doing it with, uh, they are maybe 12 meters long and they are open boats. So there's no indoor space at all. Okay. <laughs> they, were, they were kind of traditional archipelago boats. They were used uh, originally for fishing and maybe transporting some sheep and cows between the islands. Okay. So they were like work boats. <laughs> now, now we were using them for this kind of summer camp activities. So, you know, we had good raincoats and we were sitting on the deck all day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Okay. So you were like really excited to get to land and be able to like put up a tent and get into some shelter because there was no shelter on the boat. <laughs> yeah. I suppose on the rainiest days, we also had this like massive big tents that we could set up so that all 12 of us could go into one tent and just uh you know take a nap or something <laughs> yeah wow that's really that's kind of wild for me to think about because I just picture Finland and even in your summers I'm, I imagine it's like not exactly warm so I'm, I'm picturing you guys like very bundled while you're doing these archipelago cruises <laughs> well yeah I mean it is the summertime can be quite warm and well unfortunately it's also getting warmer it seems yeah. every summer but yeah it's I would say that it's quite comfortable and really the Finnish archipelago is it's so nice for summertime sailing because there's thousands of islands and you can just cruise around and go to some island that you like <laughs> and, uh, so there's lots to see yeah so you said you had some of the crew that you went out with were marine biologists, were they studying something while you're on the boats with them? Or were you just kind of talking stories with them and learning more about what they did? Yeah, no, we didn't do any science on the way. But of course, if you study the subject, if you're a biologist, then you are going to be paying attention to the environment in a little bit different way. So of course, you know, just 
to know a bit of the birds and the animals that we saw on the way. It, yeah. I definitely thought that it gave something to this trips. Yeah, very cool. So that you brought that back into college or university and that's what kind of shifted your shifted your focus and narrowed it down into the marine science realm a little bit more. Was there a particular class that you really enjoyed in university that like made you be like, yes, this is definitely what I want to do? Yeah, of course, this field courses of being able to be out there on the water and, you know, snorkeling, even though, of course, the Finnish water is not really <laughs> very warm no. or uh, and the visibility is, uh, is quite bad at places so the snorkeling it's it's not like in the marine biology documentaries where you have these colorful fishes and mm-hmm. going around enjoying enjoying the beautiful environment but of course the environment is beautiful but it's uh, it's very different it's you know nordic scandinavian marine nature so what but are that, some of the things that you see i would say that my favorite thing was to snorkel around in some areas where there was this like bladder rack zones because these are you know there's a lot of life there there's little fishes and all kinds of little animals that grow on top of these bladder racks and and the color is is beautiful <laughs> i think yeah wait what I, is it i don't i don't think i've heard of this bladder rack it's kind of um hmm, what is it called in english like bladder uh, rack yeah, like Fucus um, algae, this kind of a... Okay. Brown algae. Like a brown algae, okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. It. Okay, very cool. Yeah, I, I like those. Because Baltic Sea is a brackish water area, so, you know, some people think that it's actually just a big lake. Of course, it has this connection to the ocean, so there's some salty water coming in from the ocean, and then, you know, fresh water from on land and it's a mixture right. uh, and I really somehow got excited about the big oceans I wanted to experience the salty water and you know see all these big marine animals and, <laughs> and all that so I decided after finishing my bachelor's in Finland that I wanted to go to Iceland to do my master's okay experience the big ocean <laughs> yeah so what was that like getting your master's in Iceland and what did you study? I studied something called the coastal and marine management. Um, so okay. it was, and I thought that that was really nice. It was a combination of different uh, fields. There was marine biology, but also this uh, human aspect and social sciences and everything really that has to do with living in the coastal area. And I thought it was the nicest thing about it that we had people from so many different backgrounds. Not everybody was marine biologists, mm-hmm. although of course we had a lot of, <laughs> lot of scientists, but uh, we had a lot of people who, for example, had studied, I don't know, let's say economics, but then they decided that like, oh, but I really like marine science. So <laughs> I would like to, you know, head that way. And uh, so then they ended up in Iceland in this master's program where you could combine these different areas of interest yeah so it's it's coastal marine management essentially is that what you said yeah okay yeah I really like that because it it does it combines I mean coastal is where the sea meets the land right and you just have so much so much happening there in nature there's just different environments happening but then also it's where 
humans kind of meet the wild sea and our interactions with it are kind of at a peak or in these coastal areas. So yeah, you're right. Like uh, economics would come into play. Um, tourism is like, that's the height of it. There's just so many different factors looking into it rather than just like pure oceanic science, right? Yeah, absolutely. And also what was really nice about the program that we had people also from different parts of the world. So we had a lot of, a lot of North Americans uh, from the USA and Canada and then different parts of Europe. What university was this? It's called the University Center of the West Fjords. Okay. University of Akureyri is the bigger university that is part of, but it is located in Isafjörður in Iceland, which is uh, incidentally my husband's hometown. <laughs> <laughs> is that how you met? <laughs> no, no, no. Interestingly enough, uh, so I lived there for one whole year and it is a tiny, tiny little town. It's 3,000 people. We managed to somehow not meet. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. So we met in completely different town many years later. <laughs> I realized that we both lived in the same town. You lived in the same town at the same time and you never met. That's so yeah. funny. <laughs> I think there's something to be said for timing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so when you completed your master's, did you know that you wanted to continue on and do your PhD? No, I would say that, uh, that I... I was kind of grabbing the opportunity way when it came on the way. So I was really lucky to get uh, get offered jobs almost. My first job that I got was uh, kind of through some recommendation. And I, you know, it was really lucky for me because I had recently graduated. And I was actually in Iceland and then I moved to Finland to work for four months. And then I got another job from Sweden. So I moved there. So all over uh, Scandinavia. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, this was, of course, I mean, it's it's good to be in a life situation where you can simply pack your bag and move when you get some kind of offer. Right. Yeah. Early life situation for sure. Yeah. So, what kind of job offers, or what what were these jobs that you were getting right after graduating with your master's with this degree in coastal management? So my first job that I got right after graduation was in a university called Obo Academy in the marine biology department. Okay. Uh, we were doing a project about the eutrophication problem in the Baltic Sea. So I was doing some project coordination and scientific communication related to ending of a big, long three-year project related to this uh, research. And from there, I then continued to Sweden, where I got also a researcher, marine biology-related job in World Maritime University. And that was really, really my kind of a dream job. And I, I suppose that's how I ended up there. So I was in Iceland on a marine mammal field course. And there was, uh, you know, random selection of people who were really interested in whales and there was this participant there who told me about this world maritime university what they did there they had this uh, maritime environmental research group (laughs) and i i immediately told him that like wow that is that is my dream job that combines ships and shipping and marine biology and you know everything somehow that i was interested in and i think even a few years after he is still 
he remembered that I, I had said that. So when they had an opening, he said, that, hey, have you seen this? Maybe you should apply. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. So I really like that. So, so you have this connection and you made this connection, I'm sorry, during your undergrad in university? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you made this connection and then you like got your master's and you got a job and then he remembered this. And a couple years later, he's like, Hey, I actually have this opening. So it just like goes to show you the power of networks. Cause like, otherwise would you have, were you constantly uh, checking like this world maritime university job board or was it just kind of like, I mean, a lot, I feel like a lot of positions aren't even published, right? They're just like, I know this person that could fill it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't have found this if I hadn't met okay. him. And uh, I mean, I, I just thought that it was such a good fit. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you were doing there. Yeah, there was lots of different kinds of projects. I was working a little bit with uh, invasive species. What kind because of invasive species do you have up there? We have everything in Florida. So I'm just like, oh, other places that are cold have it too? Cool. What do you got? <laughs> we have uh, all kinds of invasive species. Of course, brackish water, it's, uh, it's not the easiest environment for the species to survive because it is really, you know, it's uh, species that have specialized <laughs> to this area, to this kind of uh, salinity conditions right. over a long period of time. But then again, because it is a vulnerable ecosystem so if there is a species that comes from some other part of the world and is able to actually manage to survive in the brackish water conditions it can be really detrimental yeah do you have like uh, clams or other bivalves that kind of survive in those conditions or is it like a fish it's uh, you know benthic animals and some crustaceans i don't think there's many fish species that could actually move like that yeah so things that live on the bottom, like crabs. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. What was your day-to-day like with this job that was like your dream job? <laughs> yeah, so I was building a database on, on these uh, invasive species, mm-hmm. uh, going through hundreds of scientific publications and uh, writing down the species information. Then eventually I came by my PhD project, which was about whales, marine mammals. <laughs> that was really what I was doing there, I would say, most of the time for the years that I spent in that university. So uh, it was a project uh, researching the pygmy blue whales mm. in the south coast of uh, Sri Lanka. So okay. nowhere near of Sweden, really. But uh, right. this was really an interesting area because there's a small population of blue whales which uh, seems to inhabit the south coast of Sri Lanka year round. So these kind of big marine mammals, blue whales and other large marine mammals, they are quite often migratory species, but it seems that there is this uh, one population of blue whales, which is actually present on the coast of Sri Lanka year round. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so we were recording recording the blue whales and trying to establish if there was any seasonal change in how were they present on the south coast amazing so this is your phd project did you did you get to go to sri lanka and film yeah, these guys? I did. <laughs> yeah. okay so when you say like you're recording them like are you out on boats are you using airplanes to kind of try to find them or helicopters yeah we went like? up on boats and we had these hydrophones that we were okay. using 
right. used acoustics to try to locate them. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, you know, marine mammal sounds, they are, they are really, really something. So you flew from Sweden to Sri Lanka. How long were these like field expeditions? Kind of what did that look like? Would you walk me through that? Yeah, so I would stay there for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. at a time, maybe three weeks. And uh, we had these hydrophones. We would launch and then we would leave them to record the whales and come back after a few months and get them up and download the data. Okay. Did you see them while you were there? The blue whales? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Sri Lanka is one of the rare place in the world also where the blue whales come so close to the coast so regularly that uh, there's quite nice whale watching of blue whales it's uh, almost guaranteed at certain seasons that if you go out you will you will see a blue whale oh my gosh that is so cool it is quite incredible there's not that many places in the world where the blue whales are that close and somehow that accessible Right. Yeah. So for listeners, the blue whale is the biggest animal on the planet. Ocean. Yeah. Ocean or on land. And it's like bigger than I think almost all the dinosaurs. Like it's a, an enormous creature. And it just goes well, to show you how big the ocean is because they're hard to find. <laughs> um except apparently yeah. in Sri Lanka. That's amazing. It is the yeah, that's the thing that you know, and I think it's a little bit almost unfair that this uh, particular species that have or the subspecies pygmy blue whale is actually called the pygmy blue whale when it is the largest mammal that has ever lived on the planet. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, you did say pygmy. So what, what does a pygmy blue whale mean? Like when I think pygmy whale, I think like maybe a 10 foot whale, but I know pygmy blue whales are not 10 feet long. I Like I'm sure they're way bigger than that. Yeah, I think the largest blue whale that has been reported was something like 33 meters long it was in the whaling era right so that's like uh, over 90 feet so they are maybe yeah maybe something between 22 to 24 meters all right so times i mean that's still over 60 feet that's a huge animal it is (laughs) (laughs) that is amazing very cool now, were you able to get close to them or are you just kind of like watching them from the boat and you can kind of see some flukes popping up in the, in the spouts? Yeah, so you could see the spouts and uh, usually a little bit of the, of the back in a way. That's, that's the thing how you see that the whale is really big. It's a little bit like, I don't know, like imagine a train coming to a station that it just kind of continues and continues and continues. <laughs> Even if you see just a small bit of the whale on the surface you still realize how big it is because it just seems to continue forever and then you know it's kind of arching its back a little bit on the surface and then when they dive you can see the flukes quite often with these pygmy blue whales so there's also an interesting difference between the northern blue whales and the southern hemisphere blue whales that it seems that in the south they show their flukes more than in the north oh (laughs) Interesting. So they have little behavioral characteristics that are a little different. Yeah, they dive differently. (laughs) They dive differently. Yeah. Yeah. And they speak different language. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me about that. You were recording. So you used a hydrophone, which is just an underwater microphone, Mm -hmm. and you launched it 
hmm, you would let it soak for like three weeks, right? So you're like recording, 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 come back and get your hydrophone and you're listening to it. Now, I would imagine that blue whales sound completely different from any other marine mammal whales included in the area. Can you pick out individuals in the blue whales as well or different families? You can pick out the different populations. You know, you talk about these acoustic types. So, for example, the blue whales that are in Australia, they have a certain acoustic type. They have a call that is different from the blue whales in Sri Lanka, and it's different from the blue whales in Madagascar, and it's different from the blue whales that are around Antarctica. That's one way of uh, recognizing how the blue whales migrate from one place to another. Yeah, they have different accents. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. But uh, uh, to the current knowledge, it's not possible to recognize the different individuals, at least, you know, to... To our limited ears and technology. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, of course, we don't know. The call themselves, the, you know, the sonogram, it looks quite similar, doesn't make such a big difference which whale it is. And, you know, the whole population seems to kind of say, (laughs) in a way, say the same thing. But, of course, we don't know really if that call contains some information that we just don't realize. I mean, this is, (laughs) of course, just Mm -hmm. a theory, but... um, I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) Right. I think they do. They got to communicate, right? They're super smart. How did you come up with this project? I mean, you're like mining data and like making a database and you go from that to like flying to Sri Lanka and playing with blue whales and listening to their calls. Like that seems like a really big jump where, how did you get this idea for this project? And like, how did this even come up? It wasn't entirely my original idea. I got a lot of help from uh, people who had been studying whales before you know Mm -hmm. acoustic professionals and so this was already kind of a project idea that was sort of there and it just needed to be sort of taken up and (laughs) and rewritten and sent in to get some funding so I I did that and got a lot of help to this uh, writing the application and then we managed to get the project started. Awesome now how long were you working on this project for? Three years. Yeah. Yeah, PhDs. I don't know if people know this or not. I like, I think it's common knowledge that PhDs take a long time, but then I talk to people like, yeah, I'll just go and take my PhD. I'm like, okay, well, your master's can take like one to two years after your bachelor's degree. Right. But then your PhD can take anywhere from another three to like 10 years. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So unfortunately it is also the case in, in my PhD because, you know, when you have a project that takes so long, it's just that life life happens <laughs> in right. between somewhere there. And uh, it causes sometimes delays. Right. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. Now, you mentioned earlier that you, you weren't even sure that you wanted to get your PhD and this kind of like organically happened as you're doing, you know, doing your own work. You kind of came up with this project and that sounded like a lot of fun to could like to study blue whales in that realm. Um and then you got into your three years in your PhD and you realize like, this is, I have other things happening in my life. I need to pivot a little bit. Could you kind of talk a little bit about like where your head was at and like what ultimately made your decision to just put a pause on your PhD? Well, I had two kids. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I would say that that is one, one big factor in it. And of course, you know, when 
you do have two kids, it gets uh, your life gets a little different. You don't just pack your bags and you know <laughs> go to Sri Lanka for a while. Yeah. Um, not when they're not when they're babies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, you can do a lot of things with babies. I mean, we we do a lot of things with our babies and have done and done a lot of traveling. But it's uh, somehow the hours in the day seem to get less. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. I get that. So you kind of paused on your PhD and you pivoted a little bit and the ocean was still calling and the boats were still calling and you've created your own entrepreneurial endeavor, combining both of these loves still and involving your family. And I love it so much. So could you chat a little bit about Napoland and how do you pronounce your boat's name? Is it Bayer? Beer? Uh, Beer. Beer? Beer, yeah. I like it. What does that mean? <laughs> it means a good sailing wind or a good drive, you could say also, you know. If you have right. a good drive in your endeavor, that's beer behind you. Oh, I like that. That's great. So a good sailing wind. <laughs> yeah. Could, could you tell me a little bit how, like, did you have this boat before you decided to start your own company, taking people out in the ocean, getting them excited about it? Or was it kind of like, we're going to do this and now we need to find a boat? Yeah. So the boat itself is my husband has had this kind of a sailing business in Iceland for a long time, for about 15 years. He has been exploring the coast of Greenland and Iceland there. And yeah, I suppose with all kinds of family changes and now also partly due to COVID, we had the need to rearrange our operation a little bit. There used to be two boats and now one of these boats was sold Mm -hmm. along this uh, previous brand that we had and we decided to keep (laughs) our beloved beer in the family and uh, continue with a little bit of a small smaller family operation and that is Napoland. So it is kind of a mine and my husband's expertise brought together in one boat. <laughs> yes. I really love that there was so much thought going into the name of Napa Land because like anybody in the US hears Napa and they're like Napa Valley. I don't get it. But in, in your part of the world, it means something totally different. Could you explain what Napa Land is? Yeah. So Napa, the word, it's a really nice word. It could mean... For example, the center of the universe, both the poles, so the North Pole and the South Pole are called the Napa. It is in principle like a pole or something that is central. Mm-hmm. Also, the human belly button <laughs> is called Napa. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, it is the center, center of everything. Yeah. But we chose it because it has this uh, Arctic feeling due to the North and South Pole. And uh, we somehow wanted to have a name that is not tied to a certain country or location, Mm. but it's somehow pan-Arctic, (laughs) pan-Northern. Yeah, very cool. I love the thought behind that. I think it's great. I also like Napa for belly button. That's great. I'm learning all these fun words I'm going to start incorporating in my everyday life. Beer, Napa for belly button. Great. Yeah. (laughs) You take people out on your boat and you cruise around 
both Finland and Iceland, correct? Yeah, we would love, like to take people out to the places that we love, places that we feel somehow at home in. And so as I said, that my husband has been in, in Northern Iceland and Eastern Greenland pretty much his whole sailing career exploring i would say that he's probably the person who has <laughs> who has sailed the most yeah on this coast of greenland oh wow that's incredible exploring it and i you know i'm from the finnish archipelago and this is something that i i love and we wanted to somehow have this operation that is moving between these two places mm-hmm. very cool how big is beer Beer is about 18 meters long. Okay. About as big as a humpback whale. (laughs) As big as a humpback whale. (laughs) I like that comparison. Very cool. (laughs) We can take 12 guests. We have cabins for 12 people in addition to our own crew cabin. Awesome. Now, do you take the whole family when you take guests too? Yeah, we have done actually a lot of trips where our kids were with us. Our older daughter has uh, has been to Greenland with us already in <laughs> two seasons. And how old is she? Oh, she's three. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> well, sailor uh, babies, that's awesome. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's an important thing. Or we decided that if we want to do this as a family, we need to start it immediately because that's how you sort of grow into it. <laughs> right. Together, it would be a lot more difficult to get into it when the kids are a little bit older and they are maybe not so used to this kind of environment. Right. No, that's true. That's very true. I was looking at some of the pictures and, well, one, the scenery is just outstanding. It's beautiful up there. Two, I was like looking at some of your, you know, action shots with Vera and there's like big waves and all you can see is a mast and like the beginning of the bow and I'm like (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like that's not warm water I don't know about that (laughs) yeah I think there yeah there's a few pictures from from some storms which are luckily luckily maybe from uh, from the previous owners okay fingers crossed we have never yet been in a storm in a proper storm with our ship and the kids there. I mean, you know, we have seen some rough weather, (laughs) of course, but these days the weather forecasts, they are really quite accurate. About three days forward, I think uh, it's getting really, really quite reliable. Of course, there's a small chance that uh, the weather could be something completely different from the forecast. But generally, if you are alert and if you follow the forecasts, you don't necessarily have to be in horrible weather (laughs) these days you can you can sort of choose around it (laughs) yeah it's amazing technology I mean you know sometimes it's a curse but oh my goodness the things that allows us to do and predict and like work around it's amazing yeah and of course mostly it's just about having enough time to wait it out (laughs) (laughs) that's true too (laughs) yeah so let's talk about that a little bit so you have guests on your boat and like you're not just like okay, welcome to the boat. Like, I'm not going to talk to you. We're just going to sail the boat, right? So like, t- what, like, what is that like having guests on your boat? You are a marine scientist. So are you talking to them about like what you're seeing? Kind of what are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah. You know, anything really that people are interested in. That is, uh, that is somehow the beauty about 
being on a ship like this and depending on the environment that we are in you can <laughs> you can do and see so many things and that's I don't know that's maybe something that it would be nice if people realized that like if you're looking at some kind of sailing holidays then like it's not really exactly what we are doing yes we have a sailing boat and and we use the sails to get from one place to another but that's not really the whole point it's we are not doing this kind of Volvo ocean race type of sailing <laughs> where, <Right. you're, laughs> where <laughs> you go in crazy weather and you're the whole time just holding on to your life we like to think that our ship is sort of a movable backcountry hut that takes us to beautiful places and the whole point is to exp- is to experience these places and use the sails which is a you know it's an environmental friendly it's a sensible way to move around if you're on a ship yeah maybe we see some whales and uh, I've I have actually given some sort of uh, (laughs) whale biology lectures uh, to people if they're really interested in the whales and talked about a little bit about the whales communication and their sounds and all that so it is definitely something that we like we want to combine our knowledge and what we're interested in and and what the people our guests are interested in yeah that is so cool i love it i love this concept so much you do some science communication in in addition to what you talk about on beer with my butcher the name finnish geospatial research institute could you chat a little bit about that yeah, currently also now that I am in Finland, I am working at the Finnish Geospatial Research Institute, FGI, and we have some projects that have to do with the coastal zone or, you know, with marine areas, but uh, mainly it is technological research. <laughs> so, you know, it's about remote sensing. What does that mean? Let's break that down a little bit. What is remote sensing? Remote sensing could be something that uh, you see from the satellites so Mm -hmm. it's analyzing for example satellite images Mm -hmm. but the research that they do at the FGI is also about this new technology lidar Mm -hmm. and laser scanning which is getting maybe people know it a little bit more now since it is getting into these new phones they have this lidar (laughs) that you can make all kinds of uh, 3d models of Mm -hmm. your own home or items But basically, uh, LIDAR is something that you can use for all kinds of remote sensing operations. So our department, they they put these LIDAR scanners and different kinds of remote sensing scanners on all possible mobile platforms like drones and boats and autonomic cars. And <laughs> it's it's really, really interesting research, interesting field of research to be in. And being able to communicate about it to people. And it's, it is getting easier now because like a few years back, everybody was like laser scanning. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> and now, now people know more about it. So when you communicate about it, are you just kind of like, I mean, science communication, right? It's taking the research and distilling it down into bite-sized chunks that normal people can understand. Would you, what did you call it earlier? Everyday people speak. Yeah. (laughs) Normal people's language. Normal people language. Yes. That's a great way to put it. So what, like, what are some of the more interesting projects that you kind of help like break down and push into the public realm? Well, I suppose in our department, they do a lot of research about what kinds of things they can see from trees in a forest. Okay. So if you, fly a drone either above or through a forest and Mm -hmm. this drone 
has different kinds of uh, sensors on it. They are trying to find out what kind of things you can actually learn from the trees mm -hmm. just with these sensors. Mm. For example, they do research about if you use these sensors to see something from the trees, if you could recognize certain uh, pests or effects of drought on the trees just from above, even before you somehow see that the trees or the forest is uh, suffering, that maybe you could see it <laughs> by remote sensing. Because, you know, in Finland, we have a lot of forests. So if you would go there in person and, and check like, how, how is this forest doing? Is it a healthy forest or not healthy forest? It takes forever. But if you can do the same thing with the modern sensors and by flying a drone above or inside the forest, then it saves a lot of time and you can get a lot of information that is already in kind of an analyzable form. Yeah, very cool. That's really neat. As we kind of wrap up here, I have a few questions. One, and you're going to be the first person to I ask this to, so no pressure. <laughs> What does the ocean mean to you? Wow, that's right? a difficult question. It means community. It is interesting because the ocean is so vast. Mm -hmm. But in any case, if you live by the ocean, you are still somehow connected to everybody else who also lives by the ocean. <laughs> yeah. So that's really the like bigger community related to the sea. And then... Because I am a sailor and I love being on these sailing ships, especially the ones who have a little bit bigger crew. And that is a really special experience of community to be in a boat yeah. together with a random selection of people, different ages, different backgrounds. And you are somehow so tightly together that you really have to get to know each other. <laughs> and you, you get to see people somehow the good sides and there if it's if it's stormy if it's really windy or you know something then how how people deal with that I feel like you really get to know the people so much better right. when you're at sea in a boat and you learn so much about yourself also how you get along with with the people around you and how you learn how to act in this little community <laughs> yeah I love that it's a great one if you were given a blank check with unlimited funds, what project would you want to use it for? Hmm. Project or projects? I had somebody who was like, I have to pick one. So up to three, if you can't narrow it down to one. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely something in the Arctic. Yeah. We have been dreaming about some mapping projects in the Arctic because, of course, you know, it is getting more and more people are going there, even to this uh, sort of remote areas on the coast of Greenland, all over the Arctic, really. I think if I had unlimited funds, I would like to go and do some like really uh, this kind of explorer type mapping. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be really nice. I'm not entirely sure which area exactly I would like to go and chart. I like that. Arctic mapping to just kind of see and, and monitoring, I'm assuming, right? So just like being able to go back and like kind of see over a few years, like what it what it's doing and what changes are happening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, monitoring stories are nice in the, sun, <laughs> in the way that you get to go back in the really nice places. <laughs> right. I like that. So you mean like kind of ice mapping? 
maybe like depth mapping depth okay yeah that would be interesting yeah that would be interesting kind of looking at the bottom a little bit and seeing what changes happen yeah mm -hmm. okay now my my personal very favorite question to ask what is your favorite field story or stories to tell and this could be just like an epic day out in the field like when you're doing your whale research in Sri Lanka or an awesome field story and it could be just like the most perfect day and everything was amazing and it's like your favorite field story to tell because it's just an idyllic day or it could just be like it was a day where things happened and it makes a really great story now <laughs> <laughs> well I decided one kind of a funny incident from the field in Sri Lanka was that we we had sometimes a fair bit of all kinds of delays doing field work. I think this is familiar to any any scientists doing field work that there's a lot of things that can happen. Mm -hmm. But maybe the strangest thing was uh, was a warning that there was some like space junk, like pieces of a satellite or something like that that were going to land exactly in the area where we were supposed to go on a boat and exactly at the same time what <laughs> yeah I I know I, I was just I was reading about it and I was like what are the odds <laughs> like really? now that final is today when we're supposed to go there's going to be satellites falling from the sky <laughs> so did you go or did you were you just like well we'll go visit that site tomorrow when we're not going to be hit by space things I don't remember exactly if that was exactly the reason why we delayed it but in any case we we went the next delay. day <laughs> <laughs> it, which was nice you know it would necessarily not be nice to be out there in a boat and thinking that like oh <laughs> the sky is falling yeah no that wouldn't be ideal no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a crazy story I mean, field, field story, just the weirdest things happen, I feel like, and you just can't make it up. Like, the sky is going to fall on you. <laughs> awesome. So at the end of each episode, I like to leave the audience with a conservation ask to go forth and bring into the world. And you have a really great one. What would you like my audience to take from your episode today? Both in uh, Nopaland and in, in the previous sailing endeavors that I've done, we have visited a lot of places in the world which are very remote, so remote that they feel almost untouched. Of course, it's not easy to find places anymore in the world, which are places where nobody had been <laughs> ever before. Yeah. But, you know, it's still, it's really special to be somewhere where there's only maybe a few people who go there, or even maybe you go someplace where the last person who visited there went there like 10 years ago or 50 years ago or something like that. And there is something really special about that. And I guess the take home message that I would like to say out loud is that when you go to a place where you get that feeling that like, wow, I really feel like nobody has been here before or like uh, not many have been here before then those are the special places that we should really leave to be as they are and and it's difficult because I really think that we people have some kind of really deep-rooted need to leave our mark somehow mm -hmm. to the places where we are be it you know maybe you want to build a little cairn or you want to leave something behind or you know or maybe take something with you and that is something that we could all somehow actively try to avoid 
something that we should, you know, we should try to work together to save these places that are special because they are so remote and so in touch. Yeah, it's a great ask and a great point. We seem to have crept into all tiny nooks and crannies on the planet. I talked to somebody that found an aluminum beer can in like a very remote passage in Alaska in like hundreds of feet of water. So we're just kind of crept into these places. And it's a good point to just be mindful of where you are and the impact that you're leaving behind. Yeah. And of course, there's this level where... I think it almost should be obvious that <laughs> not leaving trash behind, but also this changing the environment in some way where that makes it obvious that it was somehow human impact on it. Right. What I really love is places where it's really, you get this feeling that like, this is natural, this is untouched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love it. If listeners want to find you, connect with you, learn more about you or beer and Napoland, where is the best place to do so? You could follow us on Instagram. That is maybe the most sort of up-to-date. Try to put there some Great. news and pictures continuously. So it's uh, at Visit Napaland. And we also have a website, uh, visitnapaland.com, that you could go and check out. Great. I'll put a link to that and everything we chat about in the show notes for today's episode thank you yeah so hopefully now that the world is slowly opening there will be some nice adventures to come next summer yes i'm keen to come out (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna come see these places i'll get my i'll just bundle up real well (laughs) yeah i would so uh that is really my dream to have some kind of a marine biology related project on board of our ship you know i love i love doing tourism and it's something that is so special that you get to give people this experience that uh, they may become after the day and tell you that like oh my god this was like the most impressive day of this whole year or my life even and um, this is something that doesn't happen in academia so often as you said you know the projects are so long you may be working something for three years and then you maybe get something done and it's like <laughs> yay. right but it, it has a different feeling to absolutely being actually out there absolutely um, so you want a marine science project in the boat yes that like would be it. perfect <laughs> cool well we'll have to check back in and uh see how that's going in a little bit <laughs> yeah Sounds good. Well, Anuka, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really enjoyed our chat. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. (laughs) Hey, one more thing. Do you want to dive more into the ocean and marine biology? Need a little guidance on ocean conservation? Head on over to marinebio.life backslash resources. We've got book recommendations, job posting pages, conference suggestions, and ocean-friendly products. All recommendations have been personally vetted by me, and I will continue to add to the collection as I come across cool things to share. Head on over to marinebio.life backslash resources to learn more. See you over there. Thank you for listening to today's show. I'd love to hear any insight you've gleaned. Leave a comment in the show notes or send me an email over at marinebio.life. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review and of course, share with your friends. If you want more resources for ocean news, including conservation topics and careers, plus personal insight for me that I just don't share anywhere else, join me at marinebio.life 
and sign up for email updates. Keep after your dreams and making waves in your community. One person can make a difference. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on the So You Want to Be a Marine Biologist podcast.